It's great to be together today. Great weekend here in Bowling Green. You know, I feel like we've been saying it a lot, but it's so great being part of a town where there's so much going on. Uh, glad you made it through all the craziness of Black Swamp to be here with us today. And uh, we are excited to continue on in this series as we're working our way through and spending time in the book of Luke uh, this fall semester. Before we jump into the message, though, I did want to give you a quick update. We talk a lot around here about... Uh, one of our passions and one of the things that we're really uh, excited about here at HCO is raising up new leaders. And part of that is a pastors and training program that we have. And the goal of the pastors and training program is to raise up pastors and leaders to help uh, send out church plants and help lead churches within our network. And so next Sunday, we are planning to ordain Kent Ramsey, one of our pastors in training. He's been with us for a long time, which is exciting. You can clap for that. If those of you who know Kent... It's actually a pretty big deal to us. It's a long process. We inspect his life. We spend time uh, in biblical training. There, he went and got his seminary degree. And so there's lots that goes into that process. But we're telling all of you that because kind of the final step is to bring it before the church. Because scripture says that a pastor or an elder is supposed to be above reproach. And that means that, that we want to give the church an opportunity to speak into that. So we want to say that if any of you have anything that you would like to send to us in terms of encouragement, things that you've seen in Kent's life that, that you, you've been encouraged by or excited about, or if for any reason, and we don't expect that, but this is why you bring it before the church, if any of you have seen something, you say, I don't know if he is above reproach. We want you to bring that to us. It's kind of the final step uh, in Kent's ordination, and we're assuming that we're going to be moving forward with that, and uh, we're really excited about that to celebrate that next week, but we wanted to bring it before you as we're heading into the final step of that. So we're excited because God is continuing to work and continuing to do things uh, in our church and in our network. And anytime we get a chance to raise up new leaders, it is the heartbeat of who we are. So we're jumping into the book of Luke and our, our kind of desire for the next couple months is that we would just spend time reading about Jesus, learning from Jesus, getting closer to Jesus during this season of our life and in this season of our church. And so today we're gonna be in Luke chapter five. And I wanna start off with asking you to think about a, a question. It may be, true in your own life, or maybe you've seen it in other people's lives, but have you ever been around people who are just desperate to meet a celebrity? Have you ever been around those type of people that are just like drawn to the famous people, and they're like desperate to meet somebody famous or desperate to meet a celebrity? You know, I have kids. We talk about our kids a lot here as we teach, and uh, my family's into sports a lot, and so if we get the chance to go to a Major League Baseball game or an NBA game, we love the opportunity to do that. And so uh, multiple times, we'll go to a Major League Baseball game, and we typically, if we can, we like to get there early and go down, you know, on the side of the field because we try to get balls from the players or maybe have them sign autographs. And whenever you do that as a family, well, there's a bunch of little kids lined up, you know, and it's a super cool thing, right? It's a, it's a cool thing to watch kids be able to meet their heroes or meet somebody who's famous. But there, there's always a couple, and I'm going to usually say guys, there's always usually a couple men for whatever reason that are there and, and they, they're so desperate to meet these major league baseball players. It's a little 
little bit awkward, to be honest with you, if you've ever seen that. You know, there's like a 40, 50-year-old guy, and he knows everything about every player on the team. You know, that's the, the third-string catcher, you know, but he's like knows his name, and he knows his wife's name, and he knows where he's from. He knows what car he drives, you know, he knows his social security number, and he's calling out, hey, hey, over here, and he's like elbowing the kids to get out of the way because he wants the third-string catcher's autograph, you know. Maybe you've seen situations like that where people are just like, they really are desperate to meet somebody famous. They're really desperate to be around someone. Well, uh, today, the story that we're going to look at, there is a group of people that is desperate to get to Jesus. They're desperate to get to Jesus, so much so that they're going to do something that's kind of a little bit awkward to get to Jesus, to get their friend to Jesus. But obviously, we know and we're going to see that meeting Jesus is much different than just meeting a celebrity. Coming into contact with Jesus, it actually changes things in this group of people's lives. And so I'm excited to jump in this text. Here's our big idea. God wants to use us to invite others into his kingdom. God wants to use us to invite others into his kingdom. And we're going to see this group of friends who have a friend that is in need. And they are going to go to this extent that is is really pretty radical in order to get their friend to Jesus. And we're going to see how they rally around him and they do something that is profound in order to get their friend to Jesus. And we're going to see and experience the compassion and the truth that Jesus has to offer this group of people and he also has to offer to us. So I'm excited to jump in today. If you want to open your Bibles with me, we're in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. You can follow along on the screens behind. It's also, we have notes in our H2O app if you ever want to follow along there as well or open up your Bibles with me. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And we're going to stop a couple times throughout this story. It says this. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, And they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was was with Jesus to heal the sick. You see, we kind of have Jesus in this fanfare moment. It's, It's like he's a celebrity. It says that there are people from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. Jesus was just starting his ministry on earth, and people were drawn to him. People wanted to be around him because there was something different. There was something special about him. Verse 18, it says, Some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I want to stop right there. And and it leads us to our first point is this. We all need friends that point us towards Jesus. We all need friends that point us to Jesus. You know, there is this strange scene unfolding right before our eyes as we're looking at this text. We see Jesus. He's in this house. People are flocking to him, and the house is packed full of people. You know, picture a sold-out concert pre-COVID. Everybody is standing there. There's no room to get anywhere. And the people are just huddled around Jesus, and it is packed. There's this group of four people. We're not told that it's four here in this text, but in Mark, which also shares the same story. We're told that there's four friends that are carrying a fifth man that's paralyzed, and and they have this friend that they know has a need. They have this friend that, that can't walk. 
He's paralyzed. And they've heard that Jesus can help him. They've heard that Jesus can do some crazy, amazing things. And so they decide they're going to take a risk for their friend to get their friend to Jesus. Now, they come up with a, a plan that's a little unconventional. You know, and you start thinking about, okay, if I was in this situation, what would I do? You know, I really want to get my friend to Jesus. And, and there's a couple different options that they had. You know, you, you would have think maybe they could have just like asked people politely, hey, would you mind moving over? We have a man here who really needs to get to Jesus. No, they weren't that type of guys, you know. You could have maybe even like yelled fire and maybe everybody would have ran and they could have got him to Jesus. Or maybe they could have waited until the crowd cleared out. But no, they were desperate to get their friend to Jesus. These were dudes that had a mission. And so they're like, we're going to take our paralyzed friend. We're going to put him on a mat, get him up on top of the roof. And then you almost picture like they got him up to the top of the roof. They're like, oh, now what are we going to do? And, and it says... And, and another passage, they were actually like digging through the roof to make the hole big enough. And here's Jesus teaching. And all of a sudden things are like falling from the ceiling. And you look up and there's a man being lowered down into the middle of this room full of people getting right to Jesus. Now, it was an awkward thing for them to do. It was a desperate thing for them to do. Some people said, well, maybe it's like culturally acceptable 2,000 years ago to lower people through the roof. I don't claim to be a Bible scholar. I do have a seminary degree. I did, no, it was not culturally more acceptable. And I don't claim to know everything about roofs, but in general, when you put a bigger hole in one, I think it stops doing its job as much, all right? These guys, they were bold, they were relentless. They were full of faith so much so that they weren't afraid to maybe even embarrass themselves a little bit to go and get their friend to Jesus because they were desperate for him. You know, as we hear that story, and we kind of poke fun at it a little bit because it had to be a little bit of a humorous scene after it all played out, we also have to be a little bit inspired and compelled thinking about these friends that got their friend to Jesus no matter what it took. And, and I think it causes us to ask this question. It causes us to ask the question, what type of friend are we? What type of friend are we? As we see the faith of these four men, are we that type of friend? Are we that type of friend that, that see people that are hurting, that see people are, that are in pain, that see people that we know that they need Jesus? Because if you've experienced Jesus, then you know that he can work in people's lives. And are you willing to come alongside them? You know, oftentimes there are barriers in, in, in the way of getting people to Jesus. In this case, it was the crowd, right? And so they were willing to find a way around that barrier to get their friend to Jesus. Are we that type of friend who's willing to say, I, I don't care what is in the way between you and Jesus. Let me try to help. And we can't always do everything, but let me try to help as much as within my power to help you experience and meet Jesus. You know, as we start off this story and we understand and we hear the, the faith of these friends, we're reminded that following Jesus is best done in community. Experiencing Jesus, walking with Jesus, takes people around us that care about us, that can bring us to him, that can help us know who he really is. Following Jesus, it's not, a, it's not an individual sport, it's a team sport. We're working together, having people around us, pushing us towards him. You know, we talk around here at H2O all the time that our mission is about inviting people 
to find and follow Jesus together. Because we realize all throughout the pages of Scripture that following Jesus and living life is best done in community. We need each other. We need friends in our life that are willing to go to those type of extents to get us to Jesus. And we need to be that type of friend to other people as well. So don't just sit there and wait and say, well, I, no, no one's really reaching out to me. No one's really pursuing me and trying to help me get closer to Jesus. You go be that person for other people as well. It's a two-way street, and it's amazing to see how God shows up when we care for each other and we're all committed to doing whatever it takes to get one another closer to Jesus. Do you catch verse 20? It says, and when Jesus saw their faith. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, friend, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't just say when Jesus saw the faith of the man that was dropped down. It doesn't just say when Jesus saw the, the faith of the paralyzed man. It says when Jesus saw their faith, their communal faith, this group of people banded together, that's what urged Jesus to look at him and say, friend, your sins are forgiven. And I think it leads us to a, a second thing that we need to learn from this passage is that faith always involves action. Faith always involves action. You know, sometimes we, we think of faith as just something that's very passive, that just causes us to just sit back and never do anything. But here, faith is something that Jesus actually saw. So faith requires us to take steps of, of, of action. Faith requires us to do things, sometimes things that are even a little bit uncomfortable. Faith requires us to step out and watch God show up in powerful ways. When Jesus saw their faith, all of their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Is your faith an active faith? In the book of James, it says that, that true faith is active faith. And so if your faith isn't active, the question is, is, is there really faith there? Faith causes us to, to do things as we seek and we follow Jesus. We bring ourselves, we bring others face to face with Jesus. And so when he saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. We're going to unpack that here as we jump back in. Verse 21 it says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asking. He said, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Second point is this, our, our primary need in life is spiritual. Our primary need in life is spiritual. You, you catch that the Pharisees realized what Jesus was doing right away. They were certain about what Jesus was doing. Now, just some interesting Bible facts on this. In, in the book of Luke, this is the first time that Pharisees are referenced. And if you study the Bible at all or read through the Gospels, Pharisees are talked about pretty regularly. This is the first time we see them in the book of Luke. And, and Pharisees oftentimes, you know, they, they can kind of get a bad rap. And, and they probably deserved it because they were pretty judgmental. They oftentimes opposed Jesus. But many of them, at the core of who they were, they were trying to do what was right. Their job was to guard the scriptures. 
Their job was to care about the truth of what God had revealed to them. And now you have Jesus, this new celebrity preacher that's showing up on the scene, and he's starting to say some things that were not in line with their picture of what God's truth was. And so they wanted, and probably at first, rightfully so, they started challenging him on that. The problem with the Pharisees is once Jesus actually proved he was who he said he was, many of them didn't change their hearts or their minds. So it's okay for them to question him here because this is Jesus starting his ministry. The problem is they didn't change their hearts or their minds about who Jesus was once he actually showed them that he was who he said he was. It's interesting that when this man gets dropped down before Jesus, he, he looks at him, and you would have expected, and what the friends were hoping for was for Jesus to heal him physically. And yet Jesus' first response isn't to do that. Jesus looks at this man. He looks at the faith of the friends, and, and what does he say? He doesn't say, get up and walk. He doesn't say, you know, I'm going to heal you. He looks at this man, and he says, your sins are forgiven. That's his first response. Because he realizes that this man's primary need, same with all of us, our primary need is spiritual, deep within us. Jesus knew that this man had two great needs, not just one. The crowd probably thought he only had one great need to be able to walk again. But Jesus knew he had two great needs, and the primary one was spiritual. And, you know, I don't know exactly what happened in that story, but you almost wonder if when he got dropped down in and he went through probably a little bit of embarrassment and there's tiles dropping down from the roof, you know, you almost wonder if, if when Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven, he was a little disappointed. Like, that's not why I got dropped down through the roof, for my sins to be forgiven. I wanted to be healed. And, and what Jesus is showing us and this whole crowd and all of us is that, that we have a, a much bigger problem than the physical ailments that many of us face. It's not that those aren't real because they are for many of us, but we have a much bigger problem and it's a spiritual problem. It's the sickness of sin that none of us can escape. And that's what we all need healed for from see when when god created the world originally he created it perfect he created it with no pain and no sickness and no suffering and no death in the garden when god created everything it was perfect and yet sin entered the world and it opened up the world to brokenness and now we see it everywhere we don't just see it in physical ailments although that's a big part of many of the struggles that we face but we see it in the spiritual conditions of our own hearts and of the world around us. And Jesus takes this opportunity to say, listen, that is your primary problem. Your primary need in life is for the forgiveness of sins through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And just as that man could not heal himself physically, Jesus was pointing to him and saying, you can't heal yourself spiritually either. And we all need to hear that. This man needed to be brought to Jesus in order to be healed, and we all need to be brought to Jesus in order to be healed spiritually. Just as he had no chance of getting up and walking without Jesus, we have no chance of living the abundant life that God calls each and every one of us to live unless we come face to face with Jesus. He is the only one that can heal the deep ailment of sin that we all have. And so Jesus, with compassion, looks at this man he says, your sins are forgiven. Let's jump in and finish this passage. 
Jumping back in in verse 25, it says, So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he had been laying on, and he went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe, and they said, We have seen a remarkable thing today. See, third and finally is this. Jesus' words and actions require a response. Jesus' words and his actions, they require a response from all of us. See, Jesus did have compassion on this man. He didn't only heal him spiritually. He healed him physically as well. And he painted the picture that the reason he could do that is because he is the Messiah. He is the God of the universe. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is such a controversial figure? Jesus was a controversial figure 2,000 years ago, right? So much so that it led to his crucifixion. Jesus is still a controversial figure to this day. You know, you can talk about God as much as you want. Go sit on an airplane, sit down at a coffee shop. If you mention God, God bless you, people will be like, yeah, that's right. You start talking about Jesus? You start talking about the name of Jesus? And some people will respond well and want to receive that, and other people will feel very uncomfortable and not sure and threatened. It's because Jesus and his words require a response from us. See, Jesus would make a claim that no one in their right mind could dare to make a claim about. Jesus was claiming that he, in fact, was God. The Jewish people at that time, the Pharisees, they knew exactly what he was doing. They knew exactly what he was saying because there's only one that has the authority to forgive sins on this earth. You can't look at me and say, Brian, can you forgive all my sins? No, I can't. And if anybody claims that they can forgive all your sins, they're either crazy, they're misinformed about who they are, or Jesus, he is who he says he is. And there's no in-between. That's why Jesus was such a controversial figure and still is to this day, because his teachings actually don't give us the ability to just say, oh, he was a nice guy. Oh, he was a great teacher. He was those things, but he is so much more, because anybody who claims to be able to forgive sins either is telling us the truth or they're dangerous. We either have to accept him and follow him, and it changes everything, or we have to reject him and say there's no way that what that person could be saying is true. And so here in the book of Luke, we're brought to a point of decision about Jesus. He's claiming to be God because he's saying he and he alone can forgive sins, and it forces us to choose what are we going to do with him. We can either accept him and say, just as that man couldn't heal himself and couldn't forgive himself, I can't heal myself or forgive myself either, or we can reject him. And say, I don't believe that his words are true. See, as we look at this story, Jesus was touched by the physical needs that were expressed in the paralysis of this man. But his first concern was the spiritual needs of this man and for all of us. Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, looked at this man and said, your sins are forgiven. His his act of compassion and healing were performed. Why did Jesus heal this man? Why did he get up and say, get up and walk? It says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
Jesus said, I'm going to heal this man to prove to everyone here that I am who I say I am. Jesus alone has the authority to heal us both physically and spiritually. See, through the cross, we can see beyond the temporary circumstances that we find ourselves in, and we can see into the eyes of eternity the things that matter most in life. And Jesus has restored himself to us through the cross. That's the point of this story. That's the point of scriptures that we all can come face to face with. Jesus can heal us in a way that our good works can't do, that our good intentions can't do. It's only him and his death on the cross. See, meeting Jesus isn't like meeting any other celebrity, meeting a famous baseball player where you get an autograph and nothing changes. Meeting Jesus changes us forever. Here's the reality for all of us as we close here today. We're not that different from this man that we read about in this story who came to Jesus for healing. And his friends and probably him thought his greatest need was for him to be able to walk again. They probably thought his greatest needs were in relation to him being paralyzed. But Jesus shows us that his primary need was for the forgiveness of sins, for him to be reconciled to God. And for us, there's times where we're tempted to think that our greatest needs in life are external, are physical, We're tempted to think that our greatest needs in life are for friendship or for more money or for a better job or for that perfect person to come into our life so that everything will be fine someday. But Jesus helps us to focus on the real issues in life. Our first, our foremost need is to be reconciled back to God. And only Jesus can do that. So as you're here today, I want to ask you if you've been holding off on making that decision. Have you, have you allowed yourself to look at Jesus and say, well, I think he was a good teacher, a nice guy. Scripture doesn't give us that luxury. He's either God, who he claimed to be, or he's not. We have to either accept him or reject him. So have you made that decision here today as you come face to face? And putting it off only means we're rejecting him a little bit longer. So my encouragement to all of us is to say yes to him because only he can meet that deepest need that we have in our life. And then for those of us that have said yes to him, what type of friend are you? What type of follower of Jesus are you? Are you like this group of people who banded together and say, I'm going to live my life on mission? I'm going to live my life in community. I'm going to go to lengths and extents that that make other people uncomfortable in some ways, not on purpose, but because I'm desperate to get my my friends, my family, my neighbors, my coworkers, the people that I know, desperate to get them just a little bit closer to Jesus because I know that him and only him is the way to have eternal life and eternal hope and live the abundant life that God has for each and every one of us. Uh, I pray and I reflect, and I ask that we would reflect on, on that question. What type of, of, of friends are we? Have we said yes to Jesus? And if we have, are we willing to leverage everything that we have to point other people towards him? I pray that even today that we might say yes to that again and again. We might recommit to, to caring for and loving for the people that God has brought into our lives. They're not there by accident. God has put us in unique places that only we can have influence in. And so let's ask God to give us faith. Let's be available to God 
in order to bring people closer and closer to Jesus.